Dave here. There's all sorts of exciting stuff happening with the Busker Hall of Fame these days, and I wanted to take a moment to share some of it with you. Sponsors. This is huge. Starting with the May 1st episode, each of the interviews we've released has received financial support to make it a reality. Huge thanks to the Lawrence Buskers Festival, the Edmonton International Street Performers Festival, and Bottom Line Productions for believing in this project enough to back it with cold, hard cash. Sponsors really do make the difference when it comes to growing this resource, which is why I'm super excited to announce that Dolphin Creative in Dubai has stepped up with an unprecedented contribution. The next nine episodes of the podcast are being brought to you by Stuart Avery and his team. This is a company that supports the genre of street theater and all of the crazy characters who embrace the opportunity of sharing their talents and making people happy in public spaces around the world. Huge thanks to them for allowing us to stay focused on creating content and not worrying about paying our bills. This is really awesome. Finally, I just wanted to say that you really do have a say in what we're building here. Several listeners have stepped up to become interviewers in our growing pursuit to capture the most important voices from our world. So stay tuned because there is some great stuff headed your way. Right then, let's get to it. And action. Welcome to the Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living social history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. That's right, Anik. And I've got to read it now as well. Yeah. Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podca- podcast dedicated to the Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living social history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. This is the Stories from the Pitch podcast, and I'm David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, your host for this growing collection of interviews. For this episode, we're going back to a recording that Magic Brian made while he was performing at the Adelaide Fringe Street Theatre Festival back in March of 2013. Brian sat down with Nigel Martin, a.k.a. Mr. Spin, and Louise Clark, a.k.a. Pandora Pink, to get the backstories on their careers as performers. He also discussed the work that they've done as Bamboozled Productions since 2006 with the Fringe Festival in South Australia. Now, there are all sorts of things that I love about this conversation. Brian does a great job of drawing historical information out of both individuals. You'll certainly hear the nuts and bolts of how Nigel and Louise fell into the world of street theater via completely different paths, eventually met, and fell in love. But beyond these details, over the course of the conversation, you get a wonderfully uninhibited look at the nature of their relationship, which is both authentic and at times comedic. Keep in mind that this recording was made late one evening after several frosty adult beverages had been consumed. This lends a certain flavor to the conversation and the characters involved, both of whom have lived lives filled with so many great stories from the pitch. We're here in Adelaide, in Norwood, Adelaide, with Nigel and Louise, Bamboozled Productions. Hello! And, uh... I'm going to talk to you guys about your street theater festival, but before I do, I thought it'd be better to get a background for those in the world who might not know what you do, who you are, and where you started street performing. But mostly, we're going to talk about creating a street theater festival. This year was its eighth year, is that correct? Yes. Yes. That's correct. I don't have much to do with it anymore. No. <laughs> That's me. The deep voice is Nigel. That's right. Alias Mr. Spin. Mr. Spin. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. No, yes, I've done strip for me for a little while. 1990, 
Yeah, yeah. That's when you started, 1990. I think so. Yeah. No, 1992, really, properly. 92. 92, properly. Yeah, that was doing little shows. Where? In Adelaide Mall. Yeah, around the mall. Yeah, around the mall. Right here. It's little shows on this <laughs> Now how far we've come. <laughs> I used to stand there and, and, and juggle and pull faces, as many faces as I could, and see which faces people would stop for. And then I'd juggle and then walk away. <laughs> Basically, that's what would happen. So was there any other street performers working? Oh, yeah. There was a guy called Patrick. can't remember his last name. He's gone nuts now. Really? Yeah. Why did you decide to be a street performer then? Because uh, I was playing in bands and um, we were doing quite well, but we weren't making any money. And I saw, you know, Patrick out there, you know, put his hat out. And I kept looking at his hat going, it's probably more than I make doing a gig in the extra hotel in front of 500 people. Nearly had like 200 out in front of him, so I thought, yeah, I'll do that. I was a good walk-by street performer. Are you allowed to say you're a street performer when you do walk-by? Uh, I think so. Oh, that's good. I don't know. I think that'd be all right. Statues. Mm. Statues, yeah. Yeah, I was like a moving statue. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but, what, so in 1990, how old were you when you started? 21. 21, there you go. Yeah, I was 21. You mm-hmm. just said you started in No, 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 but 1992 was when I really... That's when you had a show. Yeah, well, that, well, I didn't have a show. I just got out there and I was more into it, so like going out there for a couple of times then walking away for three weeks. And, do, and just yeah. doing it here in Adelaide and running Yeah, and then, then I, 92, I was like, I'm doing it all the time. So 92 is when Mr. Spin happened? Mr. Spin came out. And you already, did you already have the skills? Like you were already juggling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Games? So while I was in the band, I spent a lot of time juggling. A lot of time juggling. I wanted to be a mime artist at first, to tell you the truth. And I've got some really old photos of me uh, triangle man. I have to look at the photos and look at dates, maybe. Yeah. But it all, for, to me, it was all in that same period because I went in and out of trying to do triangle man and trying to do walk by and trying to talk. Then I stopped talking and just did Mr. Spin, but Mr. Spin didn't have the. We love you, Mr. Spin, yet. So I just called myself Mr. Spin. So actually, no, Mr. Spin came after triangle man. So I remember doing Triangle Man and going, no, I should just do Mr. Spin. Because Triangle Man didn't talk. He was a man. Yeah, neither did Mr. Spin. Mr. Spin. Oh, Mr. Spin didn't talk either. No, but Mr. the Triangle Man had makeup on. So I was uh, all yeah. white face. I was a mime. Yeah, full right. Full mime. Yeah. And I was doing mime. Right. So I was doing the wall and I was pulling all my props towards me with a rope. Well, there was no rope there. And no, there was no the, rope. No, so yeah. You were so mining mine, a rope yeah. as a mime? Yeah, and then yeah. I used to climb a ladder to the next platform. <laughs> I know it sounds shit. It's pretty good, I thought, at the time. And then I climbed a ladder to the next point where my balls were at. So then I got my balls and I juggled the balls. And then I'd, like, slide down a pole, imaginary pole. And there would be my, you know, devil sticks and stuff. And devil sticks were real? Oh, all the, yeah. The props were real. <laughs> <laughs> all the props were real. That was Triangle Man. Then I realised... That was not working so well. <laughs> and, uh, and the thing was, I used to be so into the character that I was living just a bit out of town, so I'd catch a train into town. But I'd do all my makeup, wear my costume, have my little bag on the train. Then I used to look at people and do little funny faces and stuff, and you know, 
Oh yeah, God. really bad stuff. But I, I just, at the, at the time, I was very into it. Yeah, of course. Well, you're still into it, what you do now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It just changed. And then Mr. Spin, basically, Mr. Spin was like getting rid of the makeup, getting rid of all, wearing all black, trying to look a little bit hipper. <laughs> and then I used to practice. <laughs> and I used to practice at home. No, you'd be like, like Mr. Spin would be like, so as I was practicing, I used to pretend there was a crowd there. And it was like, we love you, Mr. Spin, and all that. And I remember my ballet teacher was always saying to me, it's like, if you practice something and do it in practice, it will come out in your show. So you've got to be careful. Always smile when you practice and all this stuff, and that will come out in the show. Well, actually, when I was practicing, I always went, go, we love you, Mr. Spin. Yeah, Mr. Spin, go mental, Mr. Spin. Yeah. And so, of course, when I started doing shows, and I was doing silent shows, do everything silent, Every now and then I'll do something really well, I'll get quite excited and I'll go, We love you, Mr. Spin! And then we like, and then but people really liked it. And then they started kind of repeating it, so that's how that one, yeah, that's yeah. how Mr. Spin developed actually. Right. So when did you start shoot performing? And where? And two, why? Oh god, why? So, oh, so many questions all at once. Two thousand. Started in two thousand, um, and I Started working with a Dutch street theatre company called Mflaubaker, Marbeek. And I was working with um, quite a famous location theatre company called Dog Troop. Not Dog Troop, an offshoot of them, Horner Consortium. And then I was working with them and we started working more outside and location outside. And I'd only done inside stuff before. And I liked being outside and working. And then... Um, I did a season with them, touring around the festivals in, in Holland, and I got invited to work with Mothra Why were you in Amsterdam? Because I went to a school there in 96 to study new dance development. Right. And then you found these people? They found me. They found you. And there was, that was it. Five girls, five of us, touring around a little Mercedes van, doing this show for a couple of years around Europe. And it was you did mostly working festivals? Mostly festivals, but, you know, a few busking stuff as well. Quite a bit of busking. There was five of us. It was, like, impossible to make any money. What was the show? What were you doing? It was called Dying from Style, uh, Thighs of Steel, and um, we were... Di- wait, Dying what? Dying from Style. That's the Dutch way of saying um, thighs um, thighs. Oh, okay, so you said it in Dutch and then you translated it to English, yes. but I thought you were saying dying of style, yeah. thighs of steel. <laughs> like, that was the title. It's really confusing. And I, I understand. I wanted to go watch their show and she wouldn't let me. It wasn't that show. That was a different show. Oh, what was that one? You think you know everything, but you don't, Nigel. I know. So, it was five of us and um, dying from style and we did the thighs of steel show and it was... Um, God, I can hardly remember now. It was five of us, and we wanted we were wanted to be bike. bike stunt artists, and we all had our own individually made bike that did a stunt. Like and what? Like silly stuff. One of them was like had a side thing, and it gave birth to a small bike. And then we did. A little... <laughs> 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 it was a really silly. So you had actual bicycles. We all had bikes. And we then, had a bike each. Yeah. And then we um, we come we came on. We used to do. Crossing formation bike stuff. So you did bike tricks. We did bike tricks, but we had really silly bikes and um, hot rod type bikes. Hot rod type. And mine was gold with some shooty weird stuff on the back. I don't know. And then um, and when we had these big um, costumes with big fatty pants, so we all looked like we had really big bums. 
so we all looked like we were really fat. And then, then the end, the, the one bike gave birth to a small little mini bike. We made our own little mini bike before I'd seen anything been brought or anything like that. And then we did this ridiculous stunt that we made really, really high like that looked totally impossible but then at the last minute it collapsed and came together and the little bike went over. so what was you had ramps we had ramps and then we had flames uh, going up and stuff we had fire flames but you could never do it but just before they went on it fell down the whole thing yeah. collapsed <laughs> so you had a whole structure we had like yeah it was, it was a big show yeah, right. it was a big show it wasn't like you know suitcase stuff there photos of it anywhere yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then two girls left and so it was me Simon Cadden so we did a kind of offshoot version of that, but not totally different. And you had different. your fatty pants too. Then we did Evil Knievel show where we were wannabe Evil Knievel. We were Evil Knievel fans, basically. And then we, <laughs> and we changed our costumes a bit. And we did this whole ridiculous routine, ballet routine at the beginning. And then we, we stripped. We did loads of different changes. And we finally did this whole big kind of crescendo where we got into our clothes and we blew up and we made a massive big inflatable evil Knievel like really big and then we blew him up and uh, you know we got all these volunteers yeah, it was like four metres high yeah it was enormous what was and it made of? inflatable stuff plastic stuff and he made it like an inflatable it was huge it was four did all by three metres big big guy that just like and then we made a costume for him. I've got all the photographs. You can see them in hysterical. Yeah. And, um, like have you not seen the photographs? No. And it, um, you never saw that show? No, I never you saw never that show. And then, uh, no, I only saw you when you were at Pandora. I wasn't allowed to see it. No, no, I never saw I turned you know, up to watch it. She stuck a finger at me and told me to fuck off <laughs> in front of all the crowd. And I had to walk away. I did ask him beforehand not to come and see it. And so, <laughs> the evil, the you evil. were watching my show every single time. No, I wasn't allowed to see it. Let me just finish what happened in the goddamn okay, show. God. It's not about you. Okay, so then. We're talking about Bob. We're talking about you. Yeah, no, but you said more now. I can't try and just get to the end. Okay. And anyway, so then you played him up, blew him up, and then we. Then we propelled him across the stage with with a massive big um, like catapult. catapult over all these. Um, it's on the street. All you know? the yeah, yeah it, was no, it was a little town with a lot of buses drawn. No, we had yeah, we did all these buses. We had more buses lying on the ground because they went over fourteen buses. Stephen so <laughs> and then um, he went into the crowd. We did a crowd surf. <laughs> Yeah, Mario thought he was the first. He was really good. No, David really Castle did the crowd surf before Mario. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was a really, really ridiculous show. But then we went to Edinburgh and it was like really hard and horrible. So then when did you guys meet? How, how, long? Did, how long ago? Yeah, was ten it? and a half years ago. What year was it? Fairly close. 2002. August 2002. 2002. Sharon introduced us. Yeah. In Edinburgh. In Edinburgh. And we, I was doing the uh, show, the Evil Knievel show, Evil Knievel's fan club. Which yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch. Show in Edinburgh, which was difficult, obviously, mm-hmm. because it's Edinburgh. It's, you know, there's three of us yeah. doing this Evil Knievel fan club show, and it was obviously, yeah, not a hardcore busking show. Right. And? Yeah. How, how so you didn't you say how you met? We went the change room in Hunter yeah. Square. Very romantic. Hunter <laughs> <laughs> Square. Yeah. yeah. Sharon introduced me. Yeah. The big box. Yeah. 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 It was there. And you were talking about yourself. <laughs> and um, 
And I remember thinking this person likes to talk about himself. And you were talking about how you're starting to put the glass in your head, and that's what you were starting to do. And you were really starting to do. My God, I must have been doing that for three years. It's embarrassing. So I was trying to impress you. No, you just started to do it. You'd only just started. It was 2002, and that's what you were talking about. Well, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. And you were wearing all black, and you had this little beanie on, Mrs. Spinman, in yellow across the front of it. I remember exactly what you looked like. Oh, yeah, no, I had been doing the glass in my head for about two years, actually, so I I was lying to you. And then... um, Well, you were doing the Evil People show, but you wouldn't watch it, so... Yeah, I know. I was lying to you. Because you were embarrassed. It was kind of like this hardcore street world, and we were just having this horrible time. People were like, we did these massive shows. They've got this promo of us doing this massive show in Parliament Square. And then, you know, you get paid like £40 because... You know how to have it. (laughs) Yeah. People would be laughing their heads off because it was just totally ridiculous. It was a really silly show. It was good fun. And that was it. So you just met there in Edinburgh. You had the Festival of Romance. All right. And then we were there together for a couple of weeks and then you went back for a month or two and then I came over in November. Yeah, so it was like that for years. (laughs) Wait, you what? Well, I'd come to Australia, she'd be over there, and, you know, we're mm-hmm. long distance relationships, so we started a month, month or two away from each other, and then we'd come back, and then, you know, and we did this backwards and forwards until we knew the Australian scene, and, you know, and I'd fly over to, Louise started getting me work in Europe, she's like full-on hardcore businesswoman that would kill anyone if you didn't give her work, that sort of thing, and... What? It's complimentary, Louise, it's complimentary. Yeah. But anyway, well, not quite like I'm that. I'm not a hardcore businesswoman. I'm somebody that is able to write emails. Anyway, right. So a few years, you did the long distance thing, and then then we did. I was doing Doctor Plum, Louise, who did the tour with you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, in Canada. No, and then yeah. we decided, yeah, we can't be away from each other that long. Yeah. And so then it was like, okay, we've got to dedicate ourselves to each other a bit there. We came back to Australia and... Is that when the strip formal festival happened? But it had already taken place. Before, before that, first, before yeah, we'd already done that. yeah. The festival that exists now, in some form, started in 2006. March 2006, yeah. And you guys created the festival? Together with the director of the Fringe Festival. Fringe. Um, and Adelaide... Um, council, so it was a big. They wanted to do something like. Okay, now there's a bit of background to this because yeah. I've been working with the street performers, making sure that they all got shows in the mall and down the garden for years. Yeah, right. so, so, there's, so a, there's a whole other thing there. Right, so me, I was always in communication with the fringe, going, "I want stuff to happen for the street performers." Yeah. Because one year, ages ago, the mall got taken up. And, you know, the, no one was able to do street shows. We had to find another pitch. So I used to, I opened a pitch up on Red Square. I can't remember what it was, where it was. It was a really long time ago. So I remember, I remember 2004, when I was here the first time. Yeah. You guys would have been together then. Yeah. And uh, you were organizing the, 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 the pitch on... Yeah. I did that all for free. And then you did it down. And it, I never used yeah, to yeah, charge for dark, pictures yeah. or anything then. I was just like, I just did it totally. You just were trying to organize it. Well, I just made... I, so I spent like three or four weeks beforehand with the Fringe trying to make sure that street performers had spots to perform on. Yeah. Then the street performers would turn up and I'd, do, I'd run the draw. Mm-hmm. So, and it was only running every two years then as well. So yeah. it would have been running eight, then I had a two-year break, then I'd do it again. I'd mm-hmm. negotiate and stuff. From there, I was always 
on to the fringe about we should do something for the street performers. And that director who'd been in for a couple of years already, uh, the year, two years beforehand, I was really, in, I was like, we should, she was really into it. So we should do something. And then she suddenly rang me up one day and we had a meeting at our frescoes. And she goes, um, we've got something. There's these two businessmen that want to start up in no, Adelaide. It was the mayor. No, house. the mayor and two businessmen that we never met in the end, and um, the fringe and Michael Harperson. Harperson and someone else. So there was a few of them. So she said they're into making a street performing. It was one of the festivals. Competition. One of the councillors. Yeah, the first year was a competition. It was a competition. And so no one got anything unless you won a prize. That was 2006. That was 2006, yeah. So they contacted you guys, or you first? Me first. Yeah. And then I was like, I've got to bring Louise along because, as Louise says, I can't ride an email. Right. It's a bit more organized. Mm. So then you jumped in. Because you guys, you were here. You guys were together. It was great for us because it was a job. Yeah. So they offered pay as well for us. We got a, a bit of pay. It wasn't much, but it yeah. was it was good. So you just you already you had it. You basically chose the acts, figured out where the shows were going to happen. First year we didn't we get did to choose the acts because it was so like did a just suddenly they're like we're going to do it this year, and they went how are we going to do it? It was like oh okay we we get the acts and they all register to be in the competition. Oh, so people and sent in an application? No, 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 because they're already there. there. It, was like, it was very Oh, sick. people who were already there. Yeah. People who were already there. Registry. It was so quick. It was yeah. just like, bang, so we did that. So who was, who were the acts that first year? Um, Johan, Pedro. Johan. Johan Lom. Yeah. Uh, English gents. English gents. We managed to call out some people and go, do you want to come along? Um, what's his name? Um, Thingy Bob Red. Um... um Eric the Red. Eric the Red. Uh, and Jess, uh, Jess and Dan, um, when they were together doing their street show. Oh, DJ and Jess. DJ and, yeah, that's yeah. Right, DJ and Jess. So yeah. I forget their names. DJ and Jess. It's 12. 12 acts. It's 12 acts. And then... And that just happened uh, what, while they were here. James, James. James, James, yeah. Um, uh, so that first year was just a competition with who was in town and maybe some people that you said, oh, you should go into this competition because we want to make a go of it. Most of the people go, oh, we want to come this year. Do you think it's going to be worth it? What can we do? And some of those people were like, well, there's a competition. You know, you can win five grand. Five grand at all. So that's not bad. But so, how, so, so the competition was, who was voting in this competition? Uh, there, there was, was, was judge. No, oh, there, was, there was a People's Choice Award, <clears throat> like, which Bite Boy won. There was second, third. No, there was... First, second, and third. First, second, third. Those yeah. are both run by the judges? Yeah. Uh, creative mm-hmm. Award, which Ooh. was the most creative show. Oh, Von Trolley's were there. Which Von Trolley's one. So it's something not doing the fo- normal formula. Yeah. And really not doing normal formula and really not doing the, any of the lines or anything like that. Was this, was, was it, the, the categories, was that established by the Fringe or did you guys come up with this? No, we came up with the, we, did it. we came up with the Creative Award because we, 
You, you we're not big fans of competitions right. and stuff like that because the thing it's kind is, of given to you like we want to have this competition. You're like, oh, all right, we'll take it on, and we're going to try. To- well, the fringe director at the time, Karen, was also was also like, but I was very. Tell me whatever you want. I know, but it just. I was dived oh. in, but the, at that point, I was very involved, and I have taken away because Louise. But at that point, I was very involved, and neither of us wanted the competition, and. We also want, because we know it's like the biggest show wins, the most yeah. people wins. Yeah, yeah. And that's not the best show. Right. Uh, it can be at times. I'm yeah, yeah of course, yeah. It can be at times, but it's not necessarily the best show. So we wanted the... Pedro came first and the English gents came second and Johan came third. Mm. And uh, Von Trolley's were the creative and white boy got um, people's choice. Gotcha. So you finished that first year, and then the following year, well, no, that at that point it was still every two years, yeah? Mm-hmm. The Fringe? So that was 2006 to 2008. No, it went to one year. No, it went to one year. Oh, it was, it was every year. Yeah. At 2006, it was gone every year. Yeah. So 2007, they want you to do it again. We asked for no competitions straight away. So yeah, you wanted a bit more control over the... Well, it, it was a competition for a few more years, but it wasn't about all about the money going into the competition. It was, we we it was asked a for a retainer. Money. It was a body of money going into, you know, actually looking after performers and providing, providing accommodation and retainer. But they still wanted to have people's competition. choice. Yeah, so it went down to people's choice. And so, so we used the other money that used to go to first, second and third. We used that to spread out to the performers to give um, a retainer. An accommodation. Mm. No flight to that stage, I don't think. Yeah, there was a bit of money towards flights. Was there a bit of money towards Yeah, that was when the budget was the largest. It's much oh, twice the size right. of the budget. Oh, and the year after, they cut our budget in half. Yeah. And the stupid thing was we put off a good festival at half the budget, and then they went, oh, you can do it at half the budget. 2007, is that the year? I'm going to do the year where you, that was where you had the... the green ropes to define the pitches yeah and then you had Rundle Park was one yeah and mm. to the mall okay yeah because we used so to we have had, R- Rundle, Rundle Street, Street which was great and we want to go back to that actually Louise does so I don't have to do it anymore well we'll get to that in a second but uh alright so 2007 now you guys want a little bit more control of the festival I mean, what we did beforehand, but it was basically where we were saying, you know, there was a budget there, we wanted to be... Getting rid of the competition, people's choice, we hate people's choice. Yeah, Yeah. but based on your success, anyway... The reason we were able to get rid of people's choice was the fact that it's like the people that wrote, actually wrote in the number of people. So when they did the clickers on how many people turned up at the festival, it was like, what, 300, 400 people actually voted... And there was like 10,000 no, people there. We just saw the amount of people that voted. Yeah. Um, and that was... No, but uh, about compared to... Yeah, 300, well, 40,000 40, turnout. Oh, that's right. 40,000 turnout. 400 people actually voted. So then you so go to the fringe and say, this is very, pointless. It's so, pointless. Yeah, and it took us... It actually took a while to get that to that point, though. So how many years was it that you had to have people's choice before you... Five guys, years. Like, no, please. six, seven, eight, nine, we didn't have it. Six, seven, so three years we had people's choice... Yeah, and then we seven eight and nine. It went down to the um, Buskers Arena, and the money got substantially cut because Christie. When was that? That was was in Brighton. Two thousand nine. 
In 2009, they cut your budget. Yeah, and so we said we can't do it. So they, I think, gave us a little bit, a little then bit more. Then they gave us a very small amount of money to put on the Buy More Park pitch. And so the Buy More Park went for three days, and I just program, open programmed it. I scheduled it, but it was just open. I didn't and then we just there. begged some good performers to come in and try to give them good so stuff. So it wasn't like, they, a, it wasn't like a proper people. festival, it was just... No, it was, it was called the... Um, Busker's Arena. Busker's Arena. Um, and that's when I went, to, because there was nothing in Rundle Moor, and that's when I went to the Moor manager and said, there's nothing going on in Rundle Moor if you don't have a street theatre festival and there's no fringe activity at all. So I asked them basically some money to put in towards the street theatre festival. And then the following year, it was established again, the ACC. Well, it's dropped out by this point. Um, ACC. What's ACC? Adelaide City Council. Okay. The money was already there, essentially, but Christy wasn't behind the street theatre. She wasn't. She Christy was the director of the festival. Christy was the director. She, she liked street theatre. She just didn't. Christy think, said she just didn't like it. Money, so. And um, she uh, diverted the money into different things. So um, some of the money went into street theatre commission. So we all were given a certain amount of money. You applied for it, and you got a grant to make a new street theatre piece, and it went into some money towards another project and so it kind of got divided up and then next year in 2010 that money came back as a lump again and then also I got a lump of money from Randall Moore so the budget went up quite substantially. And this is 2010? So after 2009 was the year it was just that? Yeah. It was just the one pitch in Randall Park. Yeah. And, yeah. and then Louise yeah. made it happen again. So It's crazy that it went from you had one pitch in Randall Park to Bleacher's on three pitches. No, you mean, we went from having five pitches down to one, and then bring it back up to. Yeah, well, five. Yeah, no. Yeah, we actually lost everything. We had, we completely lost everything. I got pretty disillusioned by it all, actually, and I left. And then Louise just kept on with it. I was like, <sighs> and uh, Louise actually managed to bring it all back, actually. Quite you well. believe it was, you, you were like, us kids can work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, people were really into it, and the money more. was there, and then you people yeah. were into it, so it's just kind of keeping going with it, I suppose. Yeah. And I have got a very good relationship with Vandal Moore. And you know how to send emails. And I know how to write emails. Well, yeah, she's very well, good I know people how to as well. She has a good relationship with Vandal Moore. So basically, yeah. you know, that's basically what I did. And, uh, and we travel around a lot, so I, you know, got access to watching lots of street performances and stuff like that, and providing work for your friends. I mean, that's also essentially what's nice about it. Yeah. You know, you just generate more work. It's nice to generate work for people. She kept it going for the street performers. Yeah. It's fucking harder work running it than it is performing. But it's a bit different. It's performing in it is much more. Kind of emotion, not emotionally harder, I suppose. You know, like kind of getting up, but then at least you've kind of like you've done a show and you have a massive big, you know, surge of energy, and and then you go on and do another show, and it kind of keeps you rolling. Whereas, you know, doing the production and running it is just like it's the whole exhausting. day. Yeah, it's you, like you're you're part of every show. Yeah, it's like all the time, all, like, all you know, nonstop. What is it? How many performances were at this festival? Eleven. Eleven. So yeah. you're basically part of eleven shows yeah. every day. Yeah, and then I've got my whole team with me as well, like the whole production team who I was really close with, you know, I spent more time with them than I did with many of the performers mm -hmm. and then of course I've got the whole fringe there is an organisation behind it as well which is months and months of work Yeah. so yeah, 
there's a lot of work that goes, a lot of pre-organisation, and I suppose also in, in an organisation as well, there's a lot of bureaucracy and stuff that causes more work. It's, it's fine, but it's, you know, there's admin, there's a lot of admin work. And you feel like, is it getting any easier or is it getting more difficult? Loads easier. Loads yeah. Easier. Yeah, it's kind of set up, you know, I, it's loads easier. I mean, of course, when there's a changeover of director, fringe director, then it, you know, kind of rolls with him a little bit. I mean, it's very much my thing, so... They've now entrusted you. They say, okay, this is, we know this is going to happen. Here's the budget for it. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Yeah. We'll kind of leave them be, or are they a bit more hands-on? Oh, no, they leave me to it. Yeah. You know, I have a little jostle with the budget as well. You know, I'm like, that's not enough. I need more. And because I kind of know how much they're getting. You know, it's, it's, yeah, so I jostle about it. Try and get more money. Yeah. And, um, and then I work with my budget. I just do what I want. I'm allowed to do exactly what I want. And I tell production what I want and tell the marketing what I want. So you have loads of freedom now. Yeah, I do what I, do what I want. Yeah. Well, I, you, I, I think it's, you've proven yourself. So that's why... They... Yeah, they trust me to kind of just put on the event. <clears> so it's fine. Yeah. I'm going to follow through and I'm not going to go over budget. And, you know, and I do the job and I put it on and, and I run a good team. And, yeah. So what do you see the future for the festival? What, you, what, what would you like to happen in the next few years or however long you want to be a part of it? I mean, well, ideally, obviously, just like to have loads more money. Loads and what would that, money. what would you, well... <laughs> I'd like to have more, um, it would be great if it was longer, but I don't think that would, that would be viable within the Fringe Festival as well. But it'd be great if it was 10 days, you know, two, over two weekends and then during the week. And I would like to have more diversity with the street theatre, so more roving, you know, maybe a large installation, something, you know, just a bit, not just buskers, not just, but, you know. Well, well yeah, just circus shows. And yeah, and also to be able to kind of pick and choose what I want, and it's, and I haven't got the budget for that, you know, like flights and stuff, I help people out. Some people I pay their four flights, but they're only coming, like Gabez, for instance, I pay, because only there, they won't come. So I, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, and then, but I can't do that with everybody, so it's a real kind of jostle around, and then suddenly I'm, you know, left with not very much, and I'm kind of having to negotiate. Yeah, I'd like to be able to just go, what about them? I've got the money to pay for them to fly them in to do it. But, you know, it's only a four-day festival, so it's yeah. like, and it's in Australia, and then I'm like, anybody, you know, any half-decent performer is going to want, if they're going to come for four days, they want their whole flight covered. Yeah. Especially if they come for a busking festival that they don't know. Yeah, well, about. you don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know it's going to be 40 degrees or it's going to be raining. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Would you change the pitches around at all? Would you want that intersection closed again the, by North Terrace? and? I mean, that's all or East Terrace. money, really. I'd yeah. like to have Rundle Street. I was thinking maybe just going on Rymer Park and doing Rundle Street or fighting a bit more for Rundle Park, Rymer Park and having a chat about the placement and where it could be a bit better and then or doing Rundle Street. But Rundle Street's quite narrow. Yeah. Do and now with Rundle Park, shows. there's an issue because Gluttony, the other venue, essentially, which is in Rundle Park, has grown. Yeah. And it's kind of, this year, I guess it was pushed up against the yeah, pitch. Yeah, right up against it, so the sound, sound issues and right. stuff like that. But then, and then there's also that, there's another venue. Down the side that crushed it in, and then also there's a box office right in front. Yeah, so, so, yeah and exactly. but you have no control over that. You have no say. You, I mean, obviously... If they want to lease it, and there's no control over it. I mean, yeah. basically, I just got kind of squidged in, and then I went, what's, you know, and I got shown the, the plans, and I was like, how come I had so little space? 
and they'd done the, the, the scale wrong with the pitch and stuff. And I was like, it's twice the size of that. So I'm like, I'm going to be backed up and I had to negotiate with Daniel from Gluttony. He gave me an extra five metres on that one side. It was yeah. really, really full on at one point. I was just like, that's it. It's, it's you know, ruined. What do you imagine, like, the how big do you think you can... Like, what's a, like, this, there's got to be a cap at some point where you can imagine how big it can get. But what would I be mean, your... Well, I guess, you know, I could have, at one point, Christy said I could have owned it. I could have taken it over and owned it outright. And I wouldn't have gone for the fringe. I would have been independent. And you could have you could have taken the whole I thing? I could have taken then and just had a relationship with the ACC. And oh, then, really? And fringe would have been stepped aside. So there was an option there. and then But I didn't want to do that. Because it's just then I'm suddenly... I'm, you know, I'm a performer and I like doing other things. I'm not an administrator. And that's what it, the job is, really. And I didn't want to do that. You know, and then sourcing, obviously, other money. And then I could have made it grow. I could. That's where it could have really taken off. But then it's like, I had to make that decision whether I wanted to do that or not. You didn't want to do it? No. No. To get a real kind of state funding behind it, start selling it to some of the, you know, the ministers and everything. And, uh, and to say this could be you know, another festival within South Australia, we could go for a big street theatre festival, you know, with really big location theatre going on with, you know, which I'm talking European scale of street theatre festival. I could have gone to that. Well, and you would, you would do it outside of the fringe? Yeah, and then do it stuff outside of the fringe, yeah. But you want to keep it the way it is? Well, it's like, it just seems like really hard work. And then it's also, that's what, that's what I'd be doing the whole year round. And then that is, that's all I would be doing. Yeah, yeah. It's a full on, it would be a full on job. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to do it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, that would be... And I like the I like the, the community of the Fringe. I like it. I like working there. I like all the people. You know, because I came to Adelaide and I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody. So um, it's nice to work within the Fringe and, and to have people and friends and to be part of something. Yeah, it goes through lots of um, dips and ups and downs and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. And the money. And, and then you kind of and then you really sit there and go, actually, essentially, it is... I'm the one that's kept it going. It wouldn't be here if I didn't have the kind of flight to try and get it going because, and it really depends, depended on the fringe, on the fringe director. Like Christy really wasn't into it and it was, she wasn't direct with me until the end when she just was like, I'm not into it, you know, but she couldn't really say what that. Was it, what was her issue with it? Why was she into it? Well, her, um, she's not, she's really into the street theatre, but, but as a fringe director, fringe director, she, thought that it was taking away from people buying tickets to shows. shows and that's her priority is to sell tickets mm. for the artists and um, and by providing free street theatre entertainment was not doing that and then there were event organisers as well so that at that point um, it wasn't the Adelaide Fringe Street Theatre Festival I don't know whether you've noticed that but um, yeah, now, it's, now it's actually it's a, it's it's comes under the same sponsorship uh, from the ACC, so we're under one umbrella. So I sit really within the fringe. Whereas before, with Christie, I was actually um, the fringe was working as an event organizer, and I was employed. I was an employee of the ACC, not a fringe. I was directly connected with the ACC. They were um, fringe was the event organizers, and they, they you know they subcontracted me, but there was much more of a kind of open relationship, and um, I wasn't really taken. I wasn't part of the fringe. I mean, I was, and I used to work with the fringe, but it's, it's, it feels slightly different now. Better? Yeah, but, but, you know, I don't have so much say sometimes. 
Mm. Like with the marketing, I don't have so much say with certain things. Um, but it's definitely much more. I get, I've get, i got more money and I've got more access to the fringe resources because I'm a fringe vent. And I get recognized now by all the departments, whereas before I'd be like in the street theater festival. Like, because I don't go in that often, you know. I mean, I'm going a couple of times a week. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I'm difficult to pin down. I'm not very good at going in on regular days. I'm just like, I like to just okay. do my thing you know? yeah you know, other stuff you yeah and everybody's always laughing at me because I don't have a proper desk and I get moved around the office and, you know what I mean I'm always just like sat at the end of somewhere do, doing stuff yeah. so you know I like to be a bit renegade and sad yeah but uh Greg's really into it he loves it yeah he really yeah. loves it yeah. and it's great to be able to work out like I try and get tours organised with people you know so Liz Vitamins come over and they you know I shared their flights with um, um, Frio yeah, and then, you know, and then they go to Desert Fringe, they go into Junior Club and they go to Fremantle, you know, so you can set up a kind of little tour yeah, for them and, yeah. and not have people, and you know, and also yourself just try and provide as much work for somebody as possible and so they just rock up and they don't have anything apart from the street dinner festival. It's nice to try and provide work. No, you're doing a good job with that. Oh, thank you, Brian. I do. It's a lot of hard work and especially being a performer as well and balancing that and... Very nice and fast. I hardly ever perform now in Adelaide. I hardly yeah. do anything in Adelaide. It's yeah. bizarre. Just yeah. do this. Yeah. But that's okay. It's really difficult to do the two things. Like, really difficult. So, yeah. It would be. No, it's just yeah. like, because with performing, you need so much clear headspace to be able to do your show. You need to really focus in on your show. And even though when you're doing it, you kind of don't even know that you're doing it. But when you're not doing it, you're doing something else and then somebody goes oh Louise can you do a show you'd be like no way there's no way I would have to like take me ages just to get my head into it yeah yeah but you get you get uh, an enjoyment out of it regardless even though you're not performing you like the whole process and oh yeah 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 yeah, definitely I like I like I like the production I like hanging out with I like the crew I like I like being part of a team yeah and that's one thing you don't get from street performing you're not really much you are part of a team but you're doing a solo show and you're out there on your own with the audience. Yeah. And it's kind of a whole different vibe. And it's nice just to be all together, hanging out. And, yeah. And I like that. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for <laughs> staying awake and being patient. <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. I learned a lot. Thank you, Louise Clark. And then where I started. Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these interviews. This episode is proudly sponsored by Dolphin Creative, a company who is proud to support street theater and all of the incredible characters who make up this world. Wherever you perform, Dolphin Creative salutes you. For more information, please visit dolphincreative.org and huge thanks to Stuart and his team for sponsoring this episode and eight more to come. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please do consider swinging by the Busker Hall of Fame website and throwing a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Your contributions really do allow us to grow this resource and generate more content, so thanks in advance for supporting this project. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Simply go to the podcast library, type in Stories from the Pitch, and download away. And while you're there, please do consider leaving a review and giving us a five-star rating. It'll take just a minute or two, and it means the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we could improve? A performer you'd like us to interview? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop me a line at cbg at buskerhalloffame.com. 
Haven't gotten enough Busker Hoff content yet? Well, then check out our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Busker Hall of Fame. Follow us on Twitter, Yappy, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or sign up for our newsletter. Links to all of these can be found on the Busker Hall of Fame website on the right-hand side of the page. And just before wrapping things up, Nigel has a few words about his decision to back away from the organizational aspects of the Adelaide Fringe Street Theater Festival. I'm happy that I left when I left. I'm sad that I didn't stay on. I'm so happy that someone like Louise has taken over. Because the thing is, she's got the mind for it, whereas I'm too emotional. And that's why I had to leave. It's too close to the bone. On behalf of myself, Executive Director Lindsay Lindbergh, Associate Producer Magic Bryan, who both recorded this interview and created the preliminary edit, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And as you perform for audiences around the world, please remember to use your superpowers for good. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy. Thanks for listening. We love you, Mr. Spoon. It's not about you.